what we just did. Oh, it's a few moments ago now, but we heard um, Kirsten read a text for us from the Sermon on the Mount. It is indeed the word of the Lord, and so we say thanks be to God for this word, and we pray this evening that the Lord would write um, this word on our hearts by faith. So, here we are. The text we heard this evening is on fasting. You guys awake? You guys with me this evening? The text we heard this evening is on fasting, and when I heard the text uh, read, and even when I was reading through it this year, I thought, well, here we are, another year has gone by. I feel like the older I get, um, the faster time flies by. There's an image that I have in my mind, I think it might have come from a film or a television series of, uh, you know, uh, an analog clock on the wall with its hands turning, the hour hand and the minute hand, and they begin to turn faster and faster and faster until they're just kind of in a blur. That's kind of how I feel like time goes as you get older. Um, I remember when I was a school kid, it just seemed like years lasted forever. Now it's like another year has um, gone by. That's, and, and I'm kind of reminded of that feeling when we hit key milestones in the Christian year or in the church year or even in you know, my own year. It's like another birthday, another year's gone by, another year older. It's like here we are back again already. And this coming Wednesday is one of those milestones. It's of course um, Ash Wednesday. Uh, this coming Wednesday, and uh, we'll talk more about it at the end of this sermon, and there'll be an announcement at the end for that. And Ash Wednesday, of course, marks the beginning of Lent, that 40-day period of fasting in the Christian year that leads on to Holy Week, Good Friday, and, and Easter. And it just seems like yesterday to me that I had the opportunity last year, I can't actually remember why, but I think Brandon was scheduled to, to teach on the Sunday before Lent, and then something came up and I jumped in and we thought, all right, we'll do a special message on fasting, and yet, here we are again. Another year has gone by, and uh, I have the opportunity to teach about fasting again this year. So here we go again. So this, you know, if you have the same sense that I do of time flying, of time going by, it should just remind us of what Paul said to the Ephesians and the Colossians, you remember? He said, hey, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. And I would, I would translate for us that, I would translate that for us and say, Let's make each year count. Let's really make each year count. Not only in terms of Lent, although that's gonna be a bit of the focus today, but in, you know, um, in a holistic sense. We live daily by the grace of God. We live daily by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, let's make each year of our lives count. And it's kind of that, seri- that, that sense of seize the day, seize the opportunity that I want to give you um, and, and sort of park that or, or have that in the back of your mind as we go through this message. This message in one sense is an invitation. It's an invitation to dive into something that Jesus has for us, a good gift that he's given us as Christians that he's given his church. And so it is that we, this, this evening we skip ahead in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5 into Matthew 6. We've been jumping around a bit so it kind of seems all right to jump around again tonight in order to look at our Lord's teaching on fasting for this very reason that one of the church's main seasons for fasting, Lent, uh, in preparation for Good Friday and Easter Sunday, is, as I say, just around the corner. It's starting this week, this Wednesday. So that being said, by way of introduction, let's jump into the context of uh, the, the passage that we heard read tonight and see, uh, see where we are and see what Jesus has to say to us about fasting. So, If you've been with us here um, in this series from the Mount these last few weeks, you'll know we've been in Matthew 5. And Jesus has has laid out this great teaching that 
that he's come, that's what we've heard, Jesus has come not to abolish the law, not to get rid of the law of Moses, but indeed to fulfill it, and in some sense to transform it uh, so that it applies to the kingdom of heaven, which is what he's announcing in the Sermon, of the Mount, in the Sermon on the Mount. And as you know from the last few weeks, we've been going through examples, not, not so much of Jesus interpreting the law of Moses, and saying this is really what the law was saying, but, but really showing its fulfillment, saying what I'm teaching you now is what the law was, was really pointing towards. This is how it's being fulfilled. Namely, it's being fulfilled in Christ. That is, it's to be lived out by the power of the Spirit in the kingdom of heaven. And living this way is a righteousness as we've heard Jesus say, that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. The righteousness of the kingdom of heaven, the righteousness that that lives the law of Christ, the transformed, fulfilled law, is a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. We've been looking at what Jesus says, we've been being challenged by his words, and of course we remember that by the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we should realize it's not a righteousness that we can bring of ourselves, it's a righteousness we must receive from outside of us, namely from Christ himself. And we've got two more examples of that to come in the coming weeks. But in Matthew 6, which is where we are tonight, the focus changes, focus changes. And Jesus begins to speak about, uh, not now the fulfillment of the law, but the practice of righteousness. The practice of righteousness. Look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, where this section starts. Matthew chapter 6 and verse one, there we read, this is Jesus introducing this next section, be careful not to, there it is, practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And Jesus will now go on to speak on three foundational practices of righteousness. We might call them spiritual disciplines. To give you the contrast, if you were here last week, Brandon talked about heart attitudes. He talked about our hearts with respect to the sins of lust and covetousness. So so we were talking about how heart attitudes. Now, Jesus is not speaking so much about heart attitudes, although, of course, the Christian life is always a holistic sense. You know, our heart attitudes are linked to our disciplines. But he's speaking about actually practicing righteousness, doing the disciplines. He's speaking about things that we do in our lives. And the three he speaks about in this section of his sermon are in order, almsgiving, or giving to the needy, financial assistance to the needy, we could say, prayer, in which he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, and then fasting, the third one of those is fasting. So these are the spiritual disciplines or the practices of righteousness that Jesus gives us. And here in Matthew 6, 1, he's giving us the introduction. This, this, this verse that I read a moment ago applies to all three disciplines, all three practices. And Jesus points out two things here that we need to take with us, that we need to note, they're important. If I can get the verse back up so you can see it again as we look at it, there it is. There are two things that Jesus points out here in Matthew 6, 1 that apply to each of these disciplines. Number one, we are to practice them. We are to practice your righteousness. Jesus assumes here that we will be doing these things. He's not saying, um, if you practice these things, then make sure you don't uh, do them in front of others. He's saying, when you do this, when you practice them, 
So the first thing we need to note is these are things that we are to do, we are to practice them. But secondly, we are to practice them in secret. That is, not in front of others to be seen by them. Not in front of others to be seen by them. Because if we do, then we'll have no reward from our Father in heaven. So the idea here is we are to practice these things, but we are to practice them not in front of others, but in front of our Father in heaven. He sees what is done in secret, and he will reward us. So we're gonna look at these two aspects first with regard to fasting, uh, and then get ourselves a, a definition or a description of fasting, and then we'll finish with an invitation for Lent 2022. So firstly tonight, first point tonight is not if, but when. Not if, but when. As I said, Jesus says here in Matthew 6, 1, that we are to practice our righteousness, we're to do it. He speaks first about almsgiving, then prayer, and then in this text this evening, he speaks about fasting. Look at what he says, Matthew 6, 16. When you fast, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But, here it is again, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Twice Jesus uses this phrase in verse 16 and verse 17, when you fast. So therefore the question for us as Christians is not if we fast, but when we fast. Not if, but when. Not if, but when. So in other words, Jesus is enjoining or giving to us, he's enjoining on all those who would be his disciples, all those who would enter into his kingdom, that fasting is a, I was trying to look for the right word to describe this, but fasting is a standard part of Christian discipleship. It's a normal thing, it should be a normal thing. In fact, Jesus uses the same phrase when he talks about giving to the needy and when he talks about praying. When you give to the needy, when you pray, when you fast. The impression, the strong impression that we get from reading this text is that praying and giving to the needy and fasting, they should all be as normal as stand as each other. They should be all, you know, as much as each other, they should be a natural part of our lives as disciples of Christ. And yet, I don't know about you guys, but strangely, I think that for most of us, this is not really the reality. I don't think that. I don't think it's the reality. I would suggest, my gut feeling um, would be, to use a turn of phrase when talking about fasting, no, I would suggest that of these three spiritual disciplines or practices of righteousness, prayer would probably be the most popular or the most standard. Most of us pray I would suggest fairly regularly, if not daily, if not many times a day. Then next would probably be, to a lesser degree, we give to the needy, uh, as in we pray more often than we give, but we still give probably, whether or not um, that's giving by electronic transfer to an aid organization or giving to a beggar who we see on the street. And then I would suggest it's probably a distant third place, a, a, a gap back to fasting. Some of us, in fact, may never have fasted. Um, many of us may fast only very occasionally. But I think if we're honest, um, fasting is not nearly as natural or normal to us as prayer. 
And that means, in, in a sense, it's not nearly as natural or normal to us as it should be, or to spin that a different way, it's not nearly or natural uh, or normal to us, it's not nearly as natural or normal to us as Jesus wants it to be, as Jesus desires it for us to be, as he invites us to be a part of. And yet Jesus draws no great distinction between these disciplines. He assumes that his disciples will fast and will pray and will give alms, that is, give to the needy. In a few moments, we'll, we'll look at what fasting is and, and look at its purposes. But in a general sense, what can we say at this time about fasting? About fasting. Sorry, it's been a long day, guys, sorry. Let's just reset that. In a few moments, we'll look at what fasting is um, at its purpose. But in a general sense, what can we say at this point in the message? Why, what, what is fasting about or why should we fast? Why do we fast? I think the answer to that is we fast in the same way that we pray and in the same way as we give to the needy. We do all these things until Christ returns. If you've ever thought about that, when Christ returns to inaugurate his kingdom, then there will be no more need. Jesus says when his disciples are worried about the money that's being spent on oil to be poured out, precious oil on Jesus' feet, to wash his feet, and, and the disciples say, hey, that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Jesus said, hey, the poor you always have with me, but I won't be with you all the time. In a sense, the poor will always exist, that doesn't mean we should not try and alleviate poverty, until Jesus returns. It's the same with prayer. Prayer, in a sense, is our dependence on God, uh, uh, whereas God is in heaven and we are on earth. But of course, we look forward to the time in Revelation 21 and 22 where the heavenly Jerusalem will descend onto the new earth and what God says there will become reality that God will no longer be in heaven apart from us, but he will make his dwelling place, dwelling place amongst us and we will see him face to face. At that time, prayer will cease in the way that we understand it now. We'll still speak to God, but not in that sense, pray to our Father in heaven. We'll be speaking to God face to face, and so it is too here with fasting. We fast until the return of Christ, or to use Jesus' picture, until the bridegroom returns. Look with me at Luke 5, verse 33. They, some of the crowd have said to Jesus, or they say to Jesus this, Luke 5, 33. John, meaning John the Baptist, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. Jesus identifies himself here as the bridegroom. His disciples are the friends of the bridegroom. And he says, how strange would it be to fast at a wedding, to fast when the bridegroom is there, when the bride and the bridegroom are there? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I've experienced that. It's a kind of a weird thing. I've had a party or I've invited guests to come over and I was expecting like a really good time and then they kind of just drank nothing but water all evening. It's a bit weird. It's a bit strange. That's what Jesus is referring to here. So he's saying, right now I'm the bridegroom. I'm here with the friends of the bridegroom. It would be strange for them to fast because I'm here. But the time will come when I will be taken away and then, then my disciples will fast. And it's in that time that we find ourselves. And so in a sense, that's the underlying reason 
or the overarching reason why we fast. We fast just as we pray, just as we give to the needy until Christ returns, until Christ returns. So let's be clear or let's be challenged this evening. When it comes to fasting, it's not if, but when. For us as Christians, if we are disciples of Christ, it's not a question of if we fast, it's a question of when we fast. Now we're to practice righteousness, Jesus says, but we are to be careful not to do so in front of others to be seen by them. So secondly tonight, not only not if but when, it's not if but who. Not if but who. That is to say, it's not a question of if someone will see you practicing righteousness. It's not a question of that. It's not a question of if someone will see it. It's a question of who will see you practicing righteousness. Who is your audience? Look again at our text, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. When you fast, okay, we had that, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces, here it is, to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others what you're, that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't fast like the hypocrites, Jesus said. It's interesting, the, the, word, the Greek word, hypocrite, is a Greek word, and it is the word for an actor or an actress on the stage. And so we see here, just in Jesus' language that he uses, there's an audience involved. There is an audience involved. And Jesus is saying, don't be like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces. They, they make a face when they fast as if, oh, it's so hard, it's so tough, I'm suffering. But the, the, the idea behind that is they, they're trying to show others that they're fasting. They're, they're, they're playing to an audience. Instead, Jesus says, when you fast, Make it, make it so it's not obvious to others. You, as in the other people round about should not be our audience when we fast and same when we pray and same when we give to the needy. But who, who should be our audience? It should be our Father in heaven who is unseen because it's our Father who sees what is done in secret. So when we don't have the audience of other people, then we have the audience of our Father in heaven who sees what is done in secret and he will reward us. So again, the question here is not if we have an audience, but who is our audience when we practice righteousness, when we practice these disciplines? Not if we have an audience, but who is that audience? Who is that audience in our lives? When it comes to practicing righteousness, whether it's prayer, whether it's giving to the needy or even fasting, the question is not whether we are an actor. That's important, we'll get back to that in a moment. It's not, in that sense, we shouldn't be an actor, it's the question, who are we playing to? All the world's a stage, said Shakespeare, and all the men and women merely players. Famous quote from Shakespeare there. That just fell flat like a flan in a cupboard. All right, um, all the world is a stage, all the men and women are players, we are players, we are actors, that's not the issue. It's not whether we should be an actor or not, it's the question of who are we playing to? Who is our audience? See, what's going on in this text is the hypocrites, 
And it's not actually explicit here, but you would assume that Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and the scribes, because they've been his kind of, um, yeah, all through the sermon, he's been referring to them. You know, it's, it's the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, which is um, worthy of the kingdom and so on. But it's not actually explicit here. But whoever these people are, these hypocrites, they pretend to be spiritual. So it's like they're actors on a stage, they're pretending to be spiritual. And they're seeking, at the end of the day, they're seeking their own glory in order to receive the reward of men around them, men and women around them. And so we see here, if you're just flicking through your Bible there in in Matthew chapter six, even if not, I'll summarize it for you. Jesus, he says, they're the kind of people who announce with trumpets when they give to the needy. Hey, everyone, it's, you know, it's the kind of person who, when the, when the bucket comes around here, you know, like they're holding out a $100 bill or a 100 euro note. You know? I want everyone to see how much I'm giving. Okay, I'm playing to an audience, he says. Then in verse five, he said, they're the ones who pray loudly, standing on the street corners where all can see them. In our context, it'd be people who really, who make a show through their body language and, the, and the, the, the loudness and the length of their prayers, how spiritual they seem to be. Jesus is saying they're, they're pretending to be spiritual, they're seeking their own glory and they're trying to receive the reward of those around them. That, that is, they're trying to make all of us think, wow, they're really spiritual. And he says here in verse 16, when it comes to fasting, they're the kind of people who disfigure their faces to make it look like they're really suffering, they're really doing it tough from this lack of food when they fast. What Jesus is saying is they look spiritual, but they are, in fact, they are in fact not spiritual. Because to be spiritual, in, in, in essence, is to seek the glory of God. But in fact, they're seeking their own glory. They love their own glory, and they're actually trying to steal glory from God. They value the fleeting respect of men around them or people around them as a greater reward. So they think it's, it's, it's a greater reward when people here around me think that I'm spiritual. That to them is a greater reward than the eternal reward of the Father in heaven. Don't be like those people. Don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says. But let me come back to that thought that I gave you a moment ago. We are actors. It's not the case that there are actors and then we shouldn't be actors. All of us are actors. It's about the audience we're playing to. And in fact, it's interesting here, we are to be actors. We are in fact to act to our true audience, to the audience of our Father in heaven for his reward. And this is ironic because it actually means that we too are called to do a little pretending where it's necessary. We are told to give to the needy and yet look, yet not look to others like that's what we're doing. We're told, in fact, to give so that even our own left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. In other words, we're told to give in a way that no one else would know we're actually doing that. To give in a way that we don't look like we're giving. We're told to pray and yet we're told to pray in a way that no one else would know we're praying. So we are actually praying, it's kind of strange and it's kind of ironic, we are actually praying, but we don't look like we're praying because we're praying not on the street corners where everyone can see us, but in our closet, as the old translation goes. And I think this becomes most explicit in our text this evening. What does Jesus say to do when we fast with the audience of our Father in heaven as our goal? 
he says here in verse 17, don't disfigure your faces, as in don't walk around looking really weak and pale and pallid from lack of food, because then everyone knows that you're fasting, you've got your reward, you've already, you're playing to your audience. He says here, verse 17, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. He's saying, put some lovely, beautiful, Australian natural moisturizing cream on your face. I've got two bottles of this, it's great stuff. You know, wash your hair and face, make it, like, pretend. Pretend that you're not fasting. You don't want people to know that you're fasting. That's what he's saying here. Wash your face, put oil on your head so that you don't look like you're fasting. So we see here, we can't not live for reward. We can't not live before an audience. We always will receive a reward and we always will have an audience. Again, it's not a question of if we'll, get, we'll have a reward or if we'll play to an audience. It's a question of who will be our audience and who will give us our reward. And Jesus is saying, we should fast for the reward of the Father, where he is our audience, where our fasting is about his glory, not our own. So, not if, but when, not if we fast, but when, not if we fast for an audience, but for whom do we fast, namely, for our Father in heaven. As Christians, we should fast, we should do so for the reward of the Father and for his glory, not for the glory and reward of man. So those were our first two questions this evening. But if we are to practice this righteousness, if we are to practice this spiritual discipline, we should know what it is. And so let's come now to our third heading for this evening. What then is fasting? What then is fasting? And I said this before, and I think it's important, particularly because fasting for many people is sort of an unknown quantity, something that they don't have much experience with. It, it's something that could automatically sound super spiritual and therefore super hypocritical if we take it the wrong way. And so we should understand, just like prayer, fasting is a gift of God. Uh, fasting is difficult, it is challenging, it costs us something, it can be uncomfortable, but it's a gift of God. It's not penance, it's not taking on upon ourselves a punishment for you know, sin or whatever, it is in fact enjoying a good gift of God. God is the giver of all good gifts and fasting is a good gift from a good God that he gives to us, his children. So here's a simple definition of fasting and there's a bit of overlap here in this section with the sermon from last year, so apologies if you've got a super good memory and you remember exactly what I said last year. Here's a definition of fasting. Fasting is simply intentionally going without food for a certain period of time as a spiritual discipline. That is for a spiritual purpose. Fasting is simply intentionally going without food for a certain period of time as a spiritual discipline. That is for a spiritual purpose. All spiritual disciplines are for a spiritual purpose. And so that's, that's our definition. Let's very briefly look at a couple of types, two main categories of fasting. I said this before also, there's both external fasting and internal fasting. 
That is to say, fasting where the, the, the purpose or the reason behind our fast is external, outside of ourselves, and fasting where our, our reason or purpose is internal, from within ourselves. So, a couple of examples. External fasting is fasting in the face of external circumstances. We have, for example, Esther. This would be intercessory fasting. Esther intercedes before God for her people, for the Jewish people, and, and to, to sort of lend strength and urgency to her prayers of intercession, she fasted in Susa, in the Persian capital, uh, for God's help to um, deliver the, the Jewish people from their enemies in trying times. There were difficult circumstances externally. Esther fasted. David fasted, if you recall, for God to heal a sick child. That is, a child had been born, that child was sick, there was external circumstances, and David fasted before the Lord in order to give strength and urgency to his prayers for healing. But another example, the church was fasting in Antioch, this is Acts chapter 13, and they were fasting in order for the Holy Spirit to speak, to call out mission workers for missionary work on Cyprus and in Galatia. And of course, we know Paul and Barnabas were chosen by the Holy Spirit after the church had fasted and prayed. So again, external circumstances, there's a, a particular calling or, or a, a missionary opportunity or a ministry opportunity, let's, let's put it that way, and we fast in order to hear from God. That's external fasting. Internal fasting is, um, makes sense, fasting on account of internal circumstances. It's in our hearts, in our spiritual lives. It can be the expression of humility or, or dependence upon God. We want to bring that, we want to express our humility, we want to humble ourselves before God and bring our dependence upon Him to expression. It very often goes with repentance. We have that image in the Old Testament of the people fasting and repenting in sackcloth and ashes. And a lot of that symbolism is tied up with Ash Wednesday. And therefore, the, the, the sense of fasting in, in, in Lent is, is certainly one of repentance, of turning away from sin and being faithful to the gospel. And as with prayer, fasting is also, internal fasting is also an expression of a desire to draw nearer to God. So those are a couple of types of, or, or the way we could look at categories of fasting in the scriptures. So fasting, though, to, to boil it down, I, I said it's the, the um, conscious or, or intentional going without food for a certain period of time as a spiritual discipline. So it's a spiritual discipline of self-denial. You're denying the, the needs or the, the desires of the body. This fits in with what Jesus says about discipleship in Luke 9, 23. Let's read that now. This is... There's a couple of verses here that we're going to tie into fasting and I hope they'll help you understand this discipline better. Luke 9.23, Jesus says this. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Fasting is a spiritual discipline of self-denial. It's when you go without food, okay, you're turning away from yourself. You're turning away from your own needs. In fact, you're denying those needs in order to, as you turn away from yourself, you're turning towards 
God and towards others. What you're doing, in fact, is you're placing God and placing others before yourself. You're giving them the priority over meeting your own bodily needs. In in a sense, it's interesting, fasting is almost like the first stage of laying down your life for others or for God. You're denying yourself of something that you actually need to live. And if you kept on going without food, you would die. So it's, it's sort of the first stage of laying down your life for others or for God. You're, you're denying yourself, you're turning away from yourself, and therefore as you turn away from yourself, you're turning towards God or towards others. So listen now to the next verse in Luke chapter nine. So Jesus says here in Luke nine twenty three, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. Then Jesus says this, Luke nine twenty four for He links the two here, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So self-denial is ultimately about being willing to forego, to go without, or to lay down your own life for the sake of God and for the sake of others. So bear with me here. At the heart of fasting is therefore love. At the heart of fasting is therefore love, because love is not self-seeking, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is willing to deny itself for the good of the other. Jesus said this, didn't he? Greater love, I always remember it in the old translation, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. So at its heart, fasting is a discipline that orders us towards love. Love of God and love of other. Love is not self-seeking, but it's willing to deny itself for the good of the other. So fasting is turning away from self and turning towards God and towards our neighbor. And so fasting is a discipline that trains us, bear with me here, it trains us to truly love God and love our neighbor. Fasting is a discipline that helps us, or that trains us, trains us to truly love God and love our neighbor. Are you with me so far? Silence. When we fast, so let me, just, let me just elaborate on that a little bit. Let me just show you that with regard to God and with regard to our neighbor. Fasting is gonna train us, it's gonna train you in love for God and love for neighbor. So what, is that, what can that look like? When we fast, let's look at our relationship to God first. When we fast, we're choosing to be weak in order to obtain strength from God. We're, desire to ex- we're desiring to express a hunger for God as greater than our physical hunger for food. We're creating a lack or a need in us that we actually feel, you really feel hungry. This is a, a need and a, and a lack that can't be ignored you feel it, and we're using that then to drive us towards God. We're choosing to forgo filling ourselves and satisfying ourselves with physical things, and we're creating space for God to fill us with spiritual things. When we fast, not only, that as a, so that's sort of a few couple of examples of, of how we turn towards God when we fast. What about with our, with our neighbors, with, the other, with others? When we fast, we actually free up resources, time, and focus for others. 
And I think this is really crucial as you think about fasting. We are creating space in ourselves in order to be filled by God, yes, but also in order to give to others. Um, I love this quote, and you probably heard it last year, but let me read it to you again. It's, again, it's from John Chrysostom from his sermon. He says this about fasting, highlighting this aspect of love for others. He says, do you fast? Well, show it by doing good. If you see someone in need, take pity on them. If you see a friend being honored, don't get jealous of him. For a true fast, you can't fast only with your mouth. You must fast with your eye, your ear, your feet, your hands, and all parts of your body. You fast with your hands by keeping them pure from doing greedy things. You fast with your eyes by not letting them look upon impure pictures. It would be very stupid to eliminate or give up meat and other foods because of the fast, but feed with your eyes upon other things which are sinful. In other words, he's saying here, if we, when we fast, we free up resources in order to bless others. It can be as simple as saying, well, because I'm fasting, I'm not spending that money on food, so I have that money to give to those in need. It can be that simple. But he also says here, he makes a real point here, which is, which is to say this, it's not just about the mere going without. That's a huge danger for us. And I've fasted like this and it's gone absolutely terribly. If you just go without, but you don't then run to God and you don't then love your neighbor, fasting is, not only is it a terrible burden, but it's also completely pointless. There is no virtue in simply going without. As he, as he points out here, what's the point of going without meat if the craving in your body and the, the, the unhappiness that it causes causes you to look here at other things which are sinful? There's no value in that. So it's not about just emptying yourself of something. It's about emptying yourself of one thing in order to fill yourself or be filled with another from God or with love for your neighbor. So think and pray about that beforehand. Again, as I say, Otherwise, fasting can really become a pointless burden and, and uh, of no value to us. So our Lord says here in, in our text this evening, we should practice our righteousness. That is, we should practice the spiritual disciplines, including fasting. We should fast. But we should be careful not to do so before others, else we'll have no reward from our Father in heaven. So we see again, it's not if we fast, but when we fast. And fasting as a spiritual discipline should characterize our lives, should characterize your life as a disciple of Christ, as we all wait together for the return of the bridegroom. And again, it's not if, but who. It's not if we have an audience when we fast, but who is that audience? We should fast for the glory of God, where our Father sees what is done in secret and rewards us. And fasting is a spiritual discipline of conscious self-denial. We deny ourselves, here it is, again, not merely for the sake of going without, but with the idea of turning away from ourselves and turning towards God and our neighbor. Fasting trains us to truly love God and love our neighbor. So let me finish now with an invitation to Lent this year. Let me finish with an invitation to Lent this year. It's gonna be Ash Wednesday on Wednesday. Just realized that in the name. And my invitation is really that Lent could be a time where we live different. 
where we live different. It's important for me to say this. Um, Lent is not an obligation. It's an invitation. Fasting, in a sense, is an obligation. I hope we've seen that tonight. Not an obligation in the sense that I can go up to you and say, you must now fast, but in the sense of Jesus expects us to be fasting. But again, we will do that in a way that we here won't know when each of us might be fasting at any given time. Okay? So fasting is an obligation in the sense that Jesus expects us to do it, but Lent is an opportunity, it's an opportunity, an invitation to fast together as a church. Together as a church. And so that's the invitation. The invitation would really be, think about what we've heard tonight, but not only that. I want you to think about what Brandon talked about last Sunday, about lust and covetousness. That was such a powerful message because in a sense, when we think about fasting as turning away from ourselves towards God and our neighbor, if we are stuck in sins of lust and covetousness, as broad a picture as Brandon painted last Sunday, then this is a really opportunity for us to live different, to turn away from these things and to do so together as a church. And so Lent is really an opportunity, it's 40 days long. It's 40 days long because it mirrors Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness, which itself mirrors the 40 years of the people of God in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. So the idea behind Lent is really imitation of Christ. If Christ spent 40 days in the wilderness going without food, then let us as his followers imitate our master and our Lord. And so Lent is really about living the, the life that Jesus Christ modeled for us. It's a life of prayer, it's a life of self-denial, fasting, but it's also a life of fellowship. Jesus was in fellowship with his 12 disciples and with the women who were part of his party. And so that would be my invitation to you. You, you, you have three days now. It's always the case, isn't it, that Lent kind of sneaks up on you and like, or like Christmas sneaks up on you like, oh, I'm not ready. So in a sense, I'm saying now, think about it in a moment um, when we have another time of worship or even in your fellowship um, at the end of the, the evening tonight. Think about this. Let me bring back the thought that I gave you right at the beginning. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. We live daily by the grace of God, but let's make every year count. And that would be my heart's desire for us as this church and indeed this fellowship, that we would make this year count. And in a sense, I'm extending an invitation to us, let's take the opportunity that Lent provides us in order to make this year count. Let's follow our master, Jesus Christ, in his life of prayer, in his life of fasting, in his life of self-denial, but also in his life of fellowship. And let's take up this discipline that, that Jesus gives to us and assumes that we will practice, a discipline which trains us to love God and to love our neighbor. And let's practice it together these next 40 days as we look forward to the central celebration of the Christian church, of the Christian year at Easter time. And so my idea would be, would be this. Think about it now, um, whether you want to fast for Lent and if you want to fast for yourself, that's great, that's fine, do that. And may the Lord be with you and may the Lord bless you in that. But I would, I would encourage you, as I said, a lot of the times we'll be fasting, we shouldn't know when we're fasting. We should be putting that lovely Australian cream on our faces. 
But Lent is a time where we, do, where we can do that in fellowship. Again, not that we do it as for the audience of the church or for the audience of our fellow Christians, but where we can be encouraging each other in this somewhat difficult discipline. And that would be my encouragement to you. Encouragement to you, and I'll finish here, is um, think about whether or not you want in your small group or with a good friend or with a couple of friends to say, hey, let's seize the opportunity. Let's live differently. Let's follow Jesus' example and let's take up his invitation to experience this spiritual discipline, which is, as I say, a good gift from a good God. All right, let me say amen there, and let me pray for us in that respect. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your teaching. We thank you for the simplicity of your teaching here on fasting. And we thank you for the gift of fasting. We thank you that it's something that you entrust to us, that you give to us for all the time until you return, until we will enter in with you to the marriage supper of the Lamb in order to sit at your table and to feast in your presence and to laugh and sing and tell tales of your victory and your glory. Jesus, we pray that we would, um, yeah, that your Holy Spirit would show us, would lead us um, into a deeper understanding and practice of fasting. Lord, help us to understand the potency and power of this spiritual discipline, just as we would also see prayer as a potent and powerful spiritual discipline. We pray here that we would practice fasting well, with a smile on our face, um, not disfiguring our faces, um, practicing it in secret, um, that you might see it and reward us. And we pray for a practice here of fasting in our church, again, that that the, the fruit of fasting would be ever more manifest here that we would be a church that is truly characterized by love, love for you and love for each other. Not self-serving, but self-sacrificing. And so we pray your blessing upon this evening, we pray your blessing upon this Lent, um, that it would be something pleasing to you. um, And that uh, as a church, uh, we would be changed and challenged to live differently uh, at this time of year in 2022. Pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.